Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Remember that song, Go Tell It on the Mountain? I always thought that first line of that song was ridiculous. First of all, it would take a considerable amount of cost, time, and training, and energy to to constantly be scaling mountains. Secondly, there are very few populations of people who actively make their home in the mountains. Thirdly, I just feel like your time could be more wisely spent in more densely populated areas. Am I wrong here? Do you know what else is ridiculous? Screaming at people from the corner about how they're going to go to hell if they don't come over and convert this very instant. Why do you believe this will work? On one hand, you have the church, who I'm fairly certain has not spent more than $17 on any type of marketing or marketing consultants, and I'm talking $17 total throughout history, but yet still believe the best way to sway a person is to yell, berate, and paint a picture of fire and brimstone. On the other hand, you have all consumer goods ever, which sells you their product by showing you how good your life could be if you just use their product. Be a cool kid if you wear Gap jeans. Have all the bestest friends in the world when you eat Froyo together. Heck, even pharmaceutical companies don't tell you how bad your herpes is going to be if you don't take their medicine. They tell you how normal and exciting your life will be with Herpetrex GT. So how about we just stop screaming at people about Jesus and maybe try to figure out how we show how Jesus loved us through his life, death, and resurrection. You know, this is just really a long way of saying we're talking about evangelism tonight. This is Pine Class Preachers. So you better listen or else your eardrums will bleed and your cat will blow out its ACL and you'll get fired and have to work in a coal mine. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh. It started off so strong. The go tell it on the mountain thing was, I loved was it. gold, yeah. Tom. But yeah. then, but the then he slipped into herpes. <laughs> the herpes came in, man. How, now now I'm not ready on this episode. Oh, my gosh. That ah, I, I want a peanut butter and jelly DCEU right now and tell you the good things. But right now, it's just like you had one good piece of bread, bud. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and, and on top of it. Well, I guess we'll cover this, but dude, churches spend a lot of money on marketing. We're just bad at it. Money. Yeah, we're yeah. super it is bad. Way, at it. It's more like we waste a lot of money on marketing. Well, on, like, on well, poor marketing. And actually, say this: to be fair, our tradition is bad at it. There's other traditions that are awesome at it. Mm. No, 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 that is no, no. True. We market the church. Come to our church. Come to our service. We've got free coffee. You know, like we do. Yeah. That we spend a lot of money on that. It's it's like how do we present the message? I'll get what you're saying. Yeah, the yeah, church yeah, yeah. doesn't okay, do okay, very okay. well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I get that. Yep. Never, okay. never has. Fair, so, fair. I don't know. We we want to we want to move through this. I, apparently, we've gotten some uh, we've gotten some feedback, Chip, that uh, you don't listen to our intros because we just talk. <laughs> we, well, we, let's be we, fair to him, though. He said, "Unless I feel like hanging out with you guys, I just skip the first twenty minutes of your episodes." You know, Chip, that's the whole point, is that you feel like you're just hanging out with us. That's it's like part our of our, I was going to say, but maybe that's the point, that he no longer wants to hang out with us. Oh, if, that makes me sad. <laughs> oh, gosh. So we'll we'll try to move it along, I guess. So uh, I'm going to start us off with what we're drinking, because tonight, uh, two weekends ago, I was in Chicago for my uh, annual Guys Weekend, and right outside Chicago is Three Floyds Brewery, which <sighs> makes zombie dust. And I am drinking the zombie dust. I am drinking the holy grail of beers. Oh. Uh, it is beautiful. It is lovely. It is delicious. So good. So good. Isn't that brewery game. so awesome, Tom? Oh, my gosh. Every single thing they put out there, uh, Arctic Panzerwolf, fantastic beer. Um, mm, sounds like a Nazi beer. <laughs> you know. No, do, I mean, and I also mean the site itself, though. Did you get to go to the site itself, or did you just buy the beer in Chicago? Have they redone it? Because when we went there, it was kind of a hole. Yeah, but it's a, like a cool hole. Like, oh, like yeah, it's like you might get shanked, and it's cool. Yeah, In, right. interesting. Interesting enough, Surly out of uh, Minneapolis here, which is an amazing beer. Uh, their head brewer uh, and the Surly head brewer did a, a beer a while ago, and uh, it was fantastic. And then uh, Surly uh, got rid of Todd, their their brewer, and he went to the Three Floyds. So hmm. there you go. Fun yeah. fact for the podcast. Thanks, Tom. We're all, we're all the better for it. Well, friends, it is uh, summertime in Michigan. Meaning which it's means 35 degrees outside? No, it is a 
perfect like 78 degrees and sunny and so it is a perfect day to drink a little oberon uh which i'm sure i've drank on here before but brewed out of bell's brewery in comstock michigan and it's just the perfect summer beer so that's what i got tonight i'd like to say that i'm drinking some really awesome micro crafted uh brew that i've found sourced from a local purveyor uh unfortunately my kids were just losing their minds all day today and I did not have time to go shopping for a delicious beer. So instead, much like Gabe, I'm just keep, keeping it regionally specific. Some sweet water to serve. Straight up IPA and a yellow can with a fish mm. on it. That's mm. it. That's good, though. I know it's uneventful, but it's. I feel like I'm the only one who brings any class when it comes to it's beer. It's classier than most. I was going to say, I kind of expect you to be like, so I'm drinking a bush. No. Uh, <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. this is my go dude sweetwater is like sweetwater is my bush it is like my Michelob ultra and my bud light like when i just want a straight up just run-of-the-mill beer sweetwater dude you're so classy like an ipa is your run-of-the-mill beer yeah that's yeah that's uh you're the definition of a beer snob i'll take uh-huh. that I will take that every day of the week. Have you seen that meme that says IPAs are just uh, pumpkin spice lattes for white guys? (laughs) 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 Not funny. It's really, it's it's very accurate. It's not accurate. Are you kidding me? Every white guy likes an IPA. Dude, that's not true. I know most, actually most white guys I know don't like IPAs. They prefer something else. Okay. All right, Josh. Just because I don't live in a hip college town like Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's true. It's true. All this, is where this is where we're losing Chip. Yeah. Bye, all Chip. Right. All right. Chip, Chip we're back. Do we, we're back. Do we, hey, man. Do come we on back. Have... We're hanging out. We're hugging. We're high-fiving. Do we all still right. have any social media partners or anything like that to, to shout out? They all left us. <laughs> Which is why we're name-dropping Chip. No one even knows who Chip is. <laughs> Except for Chip. No one knows who Chip is. Who is Chip? No one we knows. discuss on our next episode. No He's actually our only listener left. Uh, but all right. So, gang, we've covered what we're drinking. We have some texts to respond to because he is not our only listener. We have some great listeners that have sent in some awesome questions. And in fact, for once in his life, Josh is pulling some weight on this podcast. Why don't you take us away, Josh? Listen, I, I just want to say that I think I may have have finally solicited our first listener from from the Josh Woodrow camp. What? I, I know. I know. Finally, it's only taken, what, 51 episodes, however many thousands of downloads, and I think I finally have just one friend who, who listens to the podcast. My, my, I mean, my mother doesn't. <laughs> I don't have any family that listens, and so this may be the one friend that I've got. And so a shout-out to Erica and the Richardson crew from Rockford, Illinois, family from my vicarage congregation back in the day. And she started listening uh, when they visited through Chattanooga. And almost immediately, she sent in a text. And so, Tom, I'm going to give you the option. Which one do you want to delve into first? The one that's more specifically geared to you? Or the one that's more of a generic question for the podcast? Oh, man. Let's just do let's do the generic one first. And then we'll... Then we'll go because eventually you guys are just going to cut me off and we're going to go to break. So let's just do that. Is that normally how you roll like the good news first and then the bad news? I don't, I don't know. I don't okay. Know. Well, we'll just start with this. All right. So here it is from my friend, Erica. It says, Hey there, my name's Erica. I'm a new listener and a friend of Josh's. Whoop, whoop. There's yeah, one. Got it. We heard you it. know what? We may hit five by the end of our lives. Anyway, she writes, love the podcast and have comments on almost every one I've listened to, but I'll spare you the details. I told a friend of mine about your podcast, and she's wondering if you've ever discussed climate change. Also, I'm wondering if you've done one on gossip. It's something I struggle with all the time. Is it gossip to say anything negative about anyone unless it's directly to them? Because I tried that, and sadly, it didn't last very long. If you've already done those topics, can you tell me which episodes? Thanks for all of your work. You guys rock. Erica, one, thank you for being my only friend who listens to this. She's super nice, too. She is very, very nice. And two, great questions. So, yeah. boys, let's tackle these. Well, right. I, I will say we we haven't done climate change because it doesn't exist. So moving <laughs> moving on to gossip. Well, we're, no, no, no. It's because we're still we're still waiting on Al Gore's office to get back to us. 
yeah. so that we can have him as a guest. He was he's he really wants to. He's just his schedule's been tied up. He's a big fan of the pod. Uh, it's just we just he's got to get his schedule opened up. Actually, I mean, that would actually be a really good ep- episode, and I would love to talk about it in terms of wait like, with Al Gore or just in general. No, not with Al Gore. Um, hey, he's probably I, not going to come on because he knows you didn't vote for him back in the day. I don't think I could have voted for him back in the day. Yeah, could have, man. I mean, that was the first old. election I voted in, and you're like ten years older than I am. Hundred years older. What year was that? Eighteen seventy-two. <laughs> no, it was uh, two thousand four. <laughs> I voted for Ralph Nader that year. Of course you did. I did too. We all did. Who yeah. didn't? What, what What? white male high school? No, it would have been. It would have been too. Didn't vote for Ralph. No, no, no. I was, like, I was like, I'm sticking it to the man. That's Nader. right. <laughs> You're so punk rock. Yeah. It was 2000 that he ran against Bush for the first time, right? Yeah, that's the first time. And then 04. Okay, no, no, listen. He ran in 04. Listen. Okay, we're, we're oh, off track with Al Gore. So my, my, my point is, I think it'd be fun to talk about climate change because i think it's fascinating how if you're on the right side if you're a christian if you're a republican you absolutely cannot believe in in climate change even though i don't understand why if you believed in it what that would change about any of your other values or morals i just don't understand like why we can't just say yep this is happening i'm still pro-life like i don't understand why well it sounds it sounds like Thank you, Erica, for such a great question, because it seems as if it's prompted perhaps our very next episode topic on climate change. And ironically, we were just discussing, uh, partially at least, the topic of gossip prior to starting this broadcast. And so who knows? Maybe that's going to come um, down the road as well. Um, but maybe a, a brief answer to, to Erica's question, right? Like, is it ever cool to... Um, well, Say cool anything negative not. about anyone unless it's directly to them. Yeah, that's ah boy. I wish there was a pastor with bless their heart. Right. Well, I mean, so so what happens? So let's just say, let's just use the elephant in the room. All right, the polarizing figure known as Donald Trump. Oh, he did it. It is just impossible if if I disagree with him to say something directly to him. So therefore, if I talk about him or complain about him, is that gossip? Well, so maybe let's define gossip. Gossip would be to pass on information about an individual that sheds them in a negative light. Is that? Uh, or, or, or No, I don't think it's it because the Eighth Commandment talks about gossip is just like simply hurting someone's reputation. Okay. I, I, don't like, think it, I don't think it even needs to be hurting someone. If, you've, if you and Melissa got engaged and I found out about it, but you wanted to tell everybody. But then I go and, hey, did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? That's yeah, see, I don't, that isn't gossip, though. No, that's just, that's just you being like a jerk. Nosy. I, like, just being nosy and self-centered, Tom. That's all yeah, that is. Yeah, it's not really gossip. I think it does have to be negative. It's, it's like slandering someone's reputation. And mm-hmm. so to me, it comes down to like, so per Josh's example, like he kind of slanders his own. So if you're just like, he said this. That was terrible. Like, I, that's just reportage, right? Is it wrong to do reportage? So I guess if the so, dictionary defines gossip as casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. That doesn't mean that that's negative. It's just unconfirmed. Tom, there's okay. one book that I live my life by, and it isn't the dictionary. <laughs> uh, Merriam-Webster would not be happy with you. Well, Take that, Miriam. Well, I mean, this is an interesting question, actually, because when you look at – so is it gossip to say say anything negative about anyone unless it's directly to them? Like, I mean, within the scope of loving your neighbor, what would be – perhaps a better question is what would be most hurtful? To just straight up – you know, straight up say something to their face um, or to not. But then it like, goes back to the old mom adage that says – uh, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything nice or don't say anything at all. So then it's like, so to your point, Josh, like, yeah, if, if <laughs> I don't know why this is my example, but if I was like, yo, Josh, you're fat. Like that's, that's just not nice to say. It's not, but then if I'm like, it's true, it's true. Yo, Tom, you know how fat Josh is like, that's also not nice to say. Maybe mm-hmm. I just don't talk about your weight. Dude. You know what? I almost, speaking of which we were at the uh, public pool just yesterday and they had this like inflatable (laughs) obstacle course. And part of it is you have to like 
you know, cross these little boundaries. And I swear, I looked at the lifeguard because I thought I was going to tip the whole thing <laughs> over. And I was like, dude, what is the weight limit on this? Am I going to flip this inflatable, like, apparatus <laughs> and ruin it for everyone? And he just laughed and said, don't worry about it. And you know what? It felt as if it was going to flip. So what? I, I jumped off. And I was not going to be that guy at the pool that flipped the inflatable for everyone else. A couple things. It. One, I really wasn't saying you're fat. You're just, you're very well built. Secondly, <laughs> big bone. Is that what they used to call it back in the day? Were, were, were you, were you wearing a t-shirt or not? No t-shirt. All right. All right. Yeah. No. Good, good, good. This makes things worse. The t-shirts yeah. do. Right, right. Okay. Just anyway, it, man. Erica. Right. Yes. Yes. I definitely do. Hairy chest and all. Um, <laughs> Erica, great question. I really hope we can actually get to a more reasonable response to yeah, the question. That was a bad response. Sure. Um, but no, we haven't talked about those on any other episodes, so you might just have to look for those in the future. But now to my favorite question that you asked, and this is directed specifically to Tom. Yes. Even though you didn't say it's directed to Tom, we all it's know what it is. It's directed at me. So she begins. One more thing. I love it. And seventhly. And yeah. so I listened to the episode about student athletes yesterday. Oh my gosh. Tom. Uh, Kansas basketball was mentioned numerous times. Also Tom's fault. Our two oldest kids go to Kansas. Watch out, Tom. And my Our son talk. just told me that he had classes with several team members last spring, and they didn't miss that many classes. As a matter of fact, they were there right after winning the Big 12, etc. But I do agree that academics aren't the primary focus for many of the team members. Tom? Number are you going to discredit my one friend's like, veracity-filled anecdote of her own children? Nope. I'm, I, am going to, I am going to ask a pertinent question. And Were then... there classes, communications classes? <laughs> no, 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 no. That was my second. That was my rude question. Okay. okay. And then thirdly, I was going to disprove her. You know what? Um, you guys are going to get rid of my, my the only person I brought to the table. <laughs> the only listener I brought to the table. You're going to get rid of Erica. No, please no. don't keep so, listening. Number one, were these basketball players in question the three guys at the end of the bench who no, don't play a single minute except for on senior night their, their oh last year? Oh so they don't really have anything to do but go to class. So that would be my first question, which I think is the pertinent question. The, the rude question was, was it underwater basket weaving or some communications course that they were in the whole time? And then thirdly, if they were truly in class right after the Big 12 championship, I would say that's false because the week following the Big 12 championship, uh, Thursday starts the, the actual tournament. So I'm almost positive that they would have been traveling to the uh, – the venue where they were playing in the in the NCAA tournament. So you've been proven false, Erica. Oh. And fourthly, let's talk Big 12 championship. All right, the three <laughs> of us could win that thing and then go to class the next day. So come on. Oh. Come on. There went there. Thanks a lot, guys. That literally just lost my only listener. No, oh. I, I I agree. See, Erica redeemed herself at the end of the quote. By, or the uh, end of the text by agreeing with me by saying it doesn't seem that academics are a priority for especially some of these big, uh, big time athletic schools. Well, you know what else hasn't been much of a priority, Tom? What? Saying kind things about you <laughs> in text messages from our listeners. Oh, yeah, and so speaking of which, our final text message that we received in our little interim break between episodes is from a friend of the pod, also an employee of Gabe's, who is going to go unnamed. But he simply asks, based on the introduction of episode 51, if you're changing up the podcast, does that mean I have to text in nice things about Tom? And in order to avoid gossiping, Tom, we're going to let you respond to that. <laughs> well, unnamed person, Zach. Um, no, no, you don't have to say nice things. That's fine. This is, you know, I've enjoyed our little... Uh, our little back and forth. And I think it adds a little pizzazz to our, to our podcast. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to uh, ruin your, I don't know, your, your ding, mojo, ding, ding. your, your, that's the end of round three. Yeah. Go you to your keep, corner. Tom. Keep saying bad things. Keep saying Go bad to your things. Corner. That's the end of, that's the end of the round. Go to your corner. We need to 
we need to go to break and hose Tom off. He's just getting a little too hot and heavy. <laughs> and we'll be back on the flip side to and, actually talk about evangelism. And everybody text in something nice about me. You're so handsome, Tom. That was from Janet. She just sent it. <laughs> we'll see you on the other side, friends. friends welcome back from break it is uh, so good to have you with us on the pine class preachers podcast i uh, just wanted to say a few things that we didn't get to in our intro uh first of all we would love to connect with you so please find us on facebook on twitter on instagram leave us a review on itunes uh we're doing pretty well we got 15 which we're we're quite content with but would love to see that maybe crank up to 20 so if you got a, a five-star review in you We'd love for you to uh, to leave that for us. Also, we'd love to interact with you even more if you text us your questions, 612-208-6258. That's one of our favorite ways to, uh, to interact with our good listeners. So 612-208-6258. Please uh, reach out to us and we'd love to engage with your questions. And now we're going to head into our topic of the evening. Yeah, so the last couple of episodes, we've been talking a lot about what to say, what not to say in certain situations. Uh, we were talking about it in terms of funerals and, and things like that. Uh, and now we want to start discussing that in, in terms of evangelism. Uh, I think we've all felt that we're kind of bad at it at times, and uh, we want to kind of dig into that. And I know, Josh, you've got some, you've kind of got a story that kind of encapsulates this, right? Yes, and I'm really feeling like I'm being bullied into being the ignoramus on these last few episodes because like, I'm the guy who didn't want to say the thing at the funeral. I'm the guy with the American flags, and now apparently I'm the bad evangelist. Yeah, but you're our classiest drinker, so... Yeah, hey, that's right. you know what? I'll take that. Uh, speaking of drinking snobbish drinks, uh, about uh, three or four months ago, I was meeting uh, a young man at a tea shop of all places. It was a tea shop in an apothecary. I know. Okay. Hey, there was a lot of like spices and herbs and mushrooms weird, that I didn't know about. And it wasn't a head shop. So it was like an actual apothecary. And we're sitting down drinking. Could you say a couple more hipster things just to round this out? Uh, <laughs> sour wood. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're sitting down talking and like throughout the conversation, he was he, he clearly was starting to get to the point where. Essentially, he was asking me for an apologetic for my own faith. And by that, I mean the, the conversation was kind of like, hey, you say you believe all these things. I know you're a Christian. So like, oh, no, actually, this is exactly what he said. He said, so if I told you that I don't believe in Jesus right now, would you tell me that I'm going to hell? Whoa. And in that moment, I mean, like it, it wasn't. Bold move, x -lax. I mean, it really was. It was a really bold move. It, it sort of caught me off guard. Um, and in that moment. Like, I guess in my mind, I was left with two options. I could either one, avoid it entirely, or then just like be like, hey, let me lay out the gospel narrative for you. And then at the end, do a little mini chai tea altar call and see if you're actually going to believe. You know what I mean? Come to the chai tea. Oh. <laughs> if only we all celebrated altar calls with chai tea, it'd be a much, much better world. But we'd be doing, oh, church would be killing it. Go on. I know, right? In the tea shop and apothecary, I sat there and I actually took sort of a middle ground. And I think it was, you know, like a, uh, you know, a cop out. Um, I, I kind of was like, look, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth and life. And if you don't believe in him, then there are consequences for that. But, you know, if you don't believe that, then it is what it is. And almost immediately after that conversation happened, I recall texting Gabe and the words I'm pretty sure were, I am a terrible evangelist. We should talk about this. Yeah. And it has brought up this issue of like, when we tend to think of evangelism or someone who refers themselves as an evangelist or, you know, the way that we try to engender and encourage evangelism in our, in members of our churches or, um, other people, other disciples of Jesus. You know, I, I think a few images come to mind. First, you've got the the street corner preacher just standing there with a microphone on a soapbox yelling, you know, believe in Jesus uh, or you're going to hell. You know, it's kind of like fire and brimstone sort of thing. Or you've got the evangelist that carries those corny tracks around and we've all seen them, you know, oh, these cars are deceiving, but you know, it's not deceiving. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. God will never deceive you. Therefore, believe in him. You know, so you've got like, on the one hand, a very vehement, kind of like yelly, angry preacher kind of guy or gal. And then you've got the trickster who's just basically trying to deceive you into the faith. And amidst all that, I sort of found myself where I was like, I didn't really necessarily feel comfortable just like in that moment being like, uh, yeah, you would go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus and being very straightforward with it. But at the same time, I guess that's sort of my typical approach is I prefer, uh, you know, kind of like, even though I hate crockpots, I prefer like a crockpot approach to evangelism, like just slow cook with in a relationship with someone until the opportunity presents itself to really tell them about Jesus. You know, so does that make does that make me a terrible evangelist? Well, I think it's interesting that that you think that way because, I mean, I know you to be a very good preacher. I know Gabe to be a very good preacher, and it's interesting to me how like. We're, of course, told by Christ himself to go and make disciples of all nations, to go and, and tell others about him. But like, but we're not all good at that. And then we, we get down on ourselves when we're not. And it, I mean, is it everybody's skill set? Is it in everybody's skill set to be a great evangelist? So can I hit two things to yeah. both of you guys? One is I think there, there's one. This is not uh, excusing poor evangelism, but this is maybe explaining why it might be the case in our cultures. One, we need to discuss the idea, or at least for me, people don't like the idea of evangelism. Like, like if you're not a Christian, and frankly, even if you are, you generally don't like it. But, but if you're not a Christian, it's like, bro, don't try to convert me. Like, you know, it's just kind of common. Like, that's the common thing. Like, hey, if you want to believe your thing, you want to believe your fairy tales, like, that's fine. But don't try and don't try and sell me on your thing. Like I'm just not interested in it. Don't do it. Yeah, and so I think you, that's your truth, not my truth. That's your truth, not mine. Right. And so we we kind of get that embedded in us to a certain degree that it's like, whoa, I uh, okay, I I don't want to do that then. And and so the thing though about that to me is like everyone's an evangelist. Like they just are. It just depends on what it is. Like for example, uh, you may really completely hypothetical. You may really love the Green Bay Packers and think that that everyone should be a Green Bay Packer fan. And so, like, you spend your days evangelizing the Green Bay Packers and be like, dude, this is the best sports franchise in the history of the world. They've won all these championships. They're they're owned by their fans. Like, they're just the last great dynasty that's ever existed in sports, right? And so you spend your time, like, selling that and inviting people into that life and inviting them to cheer for this, this sports team. So, like, everyone evangelizes something. And so it's a little silly to me that when it comes to the most important things in the entire world, people are like, easy weirdo and it's like you know i don't know i think it's really important so why don't you hop on board so one that two tom uh to your point is you know you mentioned jesus tells us to go out and make disciples of all nations and he does and, he, and i believe he intends that for all of his followers and yet the idea of making disciples is not the same thing as evangelizing people uh and and so and that's where i think scripturally like there's an office of evangelist. There's a spiritual gift of evangelism. And so while I think all people are called to give a reason for the hope that they have, that's a, a scriptural thing, uh, to give a reason for the hope that you have to, to present the gospel as appropriate, we're not all called to be evangelists, I don't think. I think we are all called to share the gospel when the moment presents itself, but I don't know that we're all made to be evangelists. And so, so I don't please know that it's do, fair to put that on everyone. Do you tell for the good listener the distinction between making disciples and being an evangelist? Yeah. So to make a disciple is more of a uh, holistic understanding of what it is to follow Jesus, right? So to be a disciple of Jesus is to say, like, hey, like part of that is, is learning the scriptures. Part of that is learning to live in a life of service towards others, to live a life of generosity, of, of purity. And so teaching people to do that and shaping people to do that well, that's all part of making disciples. Uh, evangelism is saying, hey, here's the gospel. Like you're lost in your sin. Jesus came, went to the cross for you. He rose again for you. Put your faith in him. That's sharing specifically the gospel and inviting people to put their faith in Jesus. So that's evangelism. Uh, making disciples is inviting people into uh, the the whole formation and life of following Jesus. So maybe evangelism comes first and then discipleship. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it's not, and, and sometimes, well, I'll spare people the anecdote on this, but, but sometimes you can do a little bit of discipleship before evangelism even happens, but I, I won't go into that, but, but you can, but generally speaking, yes, the idea is like, you follow Jesus after you've come to faith with him. And the way you come to faith with him is through evangelism. Mm -hmm. um, 
Well, so let me just throw this out there because, and and not to say this was my my impetus in in my own evangelism techniques, but you know, a lot of people, at least recently, I've heard is using this phrase. I think it's from Saint Francis of Assisi, but Ugh. like preach the gospel always, but use only use words when necessary or something like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. right? Perform and so like. Him. He never said that, but go on. He never said, oh, really? Okay, there it's, you go. It's often attributed to him, but he didn't actually say it. Oh, that never happens. Yeah. But anyway, you know what I mean? So it's like, is there is there within the realm of, of evangelistic possibilities, I mean, the opportunity to evangelize through your own discipleship as a witness to what the gospel is, you know, without like, so in that situation, right, I'm talking to this dude about, and I know everyone's going to, Tom especially is going to roll his eyes, beating the drum about white supremacy and racism, blah, 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 injustice in Chattanooga. Okay. Tom has checked out for the next five minutes. Okay. We're back. <laughs> and oh, Tom's you know, such a big racist. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying like, you know, it's, it's the Josh thing. So, okay. Go on. Yeah. It's your stick. It yeah. Every Christian's thing. Yeah. Okay. Good. So Keep moving. We're, we're all very proud of you, Josh. Wow. Oh, okay. So all right. Much more so I am, than the rest of us. I'm Hopefully, we can live up to you. I am <laughs> exhibiting. Uh, <laughs> you guys are so terrible. I am exhibiting the values of my own discipleship as yeah. a as I think a faithful witness to who I believe God to be as manifest through Jesus Christ. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, in that moment, like, what is I mean, is it is it a similar cop out to that misattribution uh, to St. Francis of Assisi to say, hey, I can actually evangelize this guy more effectively by coming at it with a rhetoric uh, within a, a, a paradigmatic framework of, of culture and society that says, I'm speaking a language that you're familiar to. And eventually we're going to get to that point where then you will have to make that declaration one way or the other. I believe in Jesus Christ. I confess him as Lord or not. Or do I take that situation, that opportunity and say, yeah, actually, uh, I believe the Bible to be true. And if you don't confess Jesus as Lord, then the consequences of that are damnation, eternal separation from God, uh, annihilation, you know, whatever the flavor of the particular evangelist is. So do you want to go, Tom? I, I think it largely depends on what your skill set is. I really do. I mean, Josh, you're really comfortable, as you call it, the crockpot version of evangelism. Well, but see, here's the thing, though. And, and, I'm also willing just to tell someone how it is, but to Gabe's point earlier, if I would have said, like, when he said no one likes to be evangelized, it like, in that moment, the reason I chose not to just come at him straight up was because if I were to say, yeah, you're right, you don't believe in Jesus, then yeah, I actually do believe you're going to hell. That would have, one, shut down the conversation, two, eliminated any potential for a future conversation about faith. Right, but there are some people who could gracefully navigate that conversation and go right into it. That's there exactly are, right. you well, know. Maybe I did. Maybe you don't know. Well, you kind of well, told us so, that you didn't. You kind of told so, you didn't. yeah. So, <laughs> I, I would say this though, like, like Josh, I think about it this way. People inherently have barriers to uh, what we would say is the message of the gospel. So there's just barriers that happen in our culture and other cultures that are just going to be in the way. And so what the life of discipleship does, what say like your life, Josh, in terms of pursuing racial reconciliation and, and that sort of thing, like, first of all, it's just you following Jesus. But secondly, to an outside world, that's a good uh, model of what it looks like to do that. And so that's all well and good. And so what that does is it removes a barrier, right? It says like, oh, Josh is not just some ignorant dude who's so heavenly focused that he's no earthly good. And so, so you you remove this barrier from someone potentially hearing the message. But that isn't the same thing as proclaiming that message. And so that means that like that, that misattributed Francis Sissy quote, I, I don't really like it. I used to when I was like 19 and then, you know, then I grew up and, and it's like, no, proclaiming the gospel is actually proclaiming the gospel. Speaking the gospel is actually speaking the gospel. You can remove barriers to the gospel by the life you live and you can put up barriers by the life you live. But to actually evangelize is to actually say something. And so I, I don't buy the rhetoric of like, yeah, just like just love people and, and kumbaya, they magically came to faith. Like you be as loving as you want. And that's good. You should be. 
But all that's going to do is remove barriers until they're connected to the message of the gospel. And that's where evangelism comes in. Well, sure. Absolutely. So then I, I, I wonder, though, how effective how effective are straight, explicit evangelists then? Right. You know, because in the, in the same vein uh, of your argumentation of, you know, just like loving people is not going to get them to Jesus, like – how effective is the flip side of that? You know, there's like the guy that right. I walk by every Friday night standing on the corner of Market Street with a sign and reading the Bible and literally just like not shouting, but just creepily whispering at people, you yeah. know, like Romans 10, 9. Like how effective is that guy? It's not. It's not. And so and that's where I do think your crockpot analogy is, is, I think, in our culture, the best move. I mean, maybe in some cultures, you know, your friend on Market Street, your best friend on Market Street we hang out all the time. <laughs> is that like I was just say? Is this like code word for your best friend? Like no, but I mean, Chattanooga is afterwards. a fairly small city. Like if you're right. out on a Friday night, you're bound to run into the guy reading with his Bible, sort of creepily muttering at you the gospel while you pass by him. Right, and that I think is not effective. And I think even um, uh, what's what I'm looking for, like it's been proven ineffective. Like scientifically, it's ineffective. Like it, it's just it's dumb. Don't do it. Um, and. And yet, this is where I think the crockpot comes in. But you eventually, man, you got to cook that roast. Like I, I guess that's my thing. Is and and not in like and again, I, I don't think it's like a weird um, bait and switch kind of way where it's like I love you only insofar as I can tell you about Jesus. It's like no, you just actually love the person. But as a result of that, if Jesus is the most important thing in your life, if following Him is the most important thing in your life, you're inevitably going to talk about what He's done for you and what He could do for your friend. And so or you should at least. And so that to me is my deal is like you do. I think there's a place where you eventually got to say something or else you're missing the boat. Now, how good you are at it, how effective it is to Tom's point. I think that's a gifting. And, and so yeah, some of so, us are just not good at it. So can we take a quick poll? And I, and yeah. I don't, this is no, in no way judging any of us because I'm the first one to admit that I offered up this topic because I think I'm a terrible evangelist proper. So, at least for us three, how many times have we explicitly shared the gospel in a one-on-one -on -one situation that resulted in someone coming to faith? I don't know if I can think of one. I have three. Tom? I, I was going to say, you know, I, they say like five man, seconds of radio and then people think it cut off, Tom. Yeah, no. You know, I don't, I don't know because I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the, in, in the camp world and spent time with tons of kids who I know who didn't have a faith and, you know, whether I had a one-on-one -on -one conversation or, you know, was speaking to them in small groups. I, I think the interesting thing for the three of us in particular is that uh, the three of us are either in jobs or have been in jobs where we are at times literally preaching to the choir yep. or we are, or at at best speaking, speaking mostly to people who are already seeking and already have some kernel of faith or things like that. Whereas uh, perhaps the average listener doesn't have that, that medium available to them. There are only ways that they are evangelizing or speaking, making disciples is, is in one-on-one -on -one conversations with their neighbors, with their friends, things like that. And so, I, I, it's a very different thing to me. Well, so I have, I have two questions, one for Gabe and then one generic. So I am curious, those personal experiences you have to kind of explain those a little bit, but then also what you're referring to Tom, on the one hand, like I think of, and we sort of discussed this when we were prepping for this episode, you know, Billy Graham, but right. the, more, the more that I think about it and, and I say this genuinely because the guy was incredible and you know, nothing taken from Billy Graham, but like, if someone gave me a microphone in front of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, I could declare the gospel just as clearly. Yeah. And would that make me the greatest evangelist America has ever seen? So, and that was what was interesting to me about your question, Josh, because you asked like one-on-one -on -one what's been, you know, in our terminology, we'd say what's been your fruit, right? So one-on-one -on -one sharing the gospel, when have you seen this happen? And I said three. Um, now, if I were to say when I've 
preached other places or like when I preached at my church or when I guest spoken at, at other guest speaking, guest spake, guest spake, when I guest spake other yeah, places. That can't, that can't be right. That Is it, can't be right. Is it guest spoken? spoken? Is it guest spoken? Yes, spoken. When I've spoken at other places uh, or at my own church or whatever, uh, and again, this is not me flexing or anything. Uh, that, that's just like, it's much more than three. Like I've got letters from people and baptisms and stuff like that, where it's been like, yo, I came to faith from hearing that message. And so, so for me, you know, and so that's where I think of like, I don't know how great Billy Graham would do one-on-one. He obviously did great with large crowds. And I think there's some people that are gifted at like, when you speak in front of a larger group of people that they're more compelling in that message than they might be one-on-one. So it is like different thing. Now, to Tom's point, you, like, you mentioned Al Gore. Al Gore was great at speaking in front of cameras, but the rumor was he was terrible at a table, could yeah. not carry a conversation. George Bush was the greatest conversationalist ever. And a terrible orator. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, so I think it's, it's a similar thing that way where it's like, I'm maybe not great one-on-one, uh, but I think I'm pretty good with a larger crowd. And, and so I, I I think it depends, but, but I think to Tom's point again, I guess, is that like for most people, for most Christians that care about this, they're not pastors and they're not the ones that are up front doing it. And so it's like, what then does that look like one-on-one with someone and, and are they gifted that way? And they may not be, I mean, the the fruit may not be there from that. I I think to me though, the the call is still there to say like, you still got to say something. So, and I want, and I want to throw this out there because I know I've talked to to you two about this, and I know that one one of my friends listens to this podcast, and he and I have had a lot of conversations about faith, and I've expressed to him how frustrated I get because I am not able to to articulate the gospel and articulate my faith one in a way that I think is is good, and two in a way that is that that is compelling, and I get frustrated with myself that I haven't that I haven't like converted him yet, you know? And, and I, and I've told him that and, you know, I, my, my thought to anybody listening today is like one Gabe, I agree. Eventually we have to say something. We, we have to, what did you say? Cook that roast, cook that roast. But, but at the same time, I don't think we need to feel that like, Oh my gosh, my neighbor just asked me something about God. I better convert him here in the next 15 minutes. Like, yeah. don't put right. that on yourself. That right. like it's, it's weird too if you're that guy. Yeah. yeah well, I actually think this is a great place for us to to really land on for today. Um, so I say we take a break. And the two questions I'd like to see answered when we come back is one, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in all this? Um, in and through the evangelist, quote unquote. And two, like, so then how do we and Tom, you can help us help Gabe and I with this, like. So then how do we best encourage uh, individual Christians to channel whatever evangelism techniques are are most available, most comfortable, um, and most re- readily like in their skill set? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, cool. Well, then we're going to go to break, and we're going to try to figure this out while this is being edited out. And when we come back, Genius Answers. All right, friends, welcome back from break. And in the interim, while you were probably grabbing another beer for this discussion to conclude, I actually, I was asking Gabe if we even had an evangelism course, quote unquote, at uh, the seminary that we both attended. And I don't think that we did. And, but we did have a lot of, of classes that talked about the Holy Spirit, who is the, the giver of faith, who is the guarantor of faith and who, who, that's what it says in Ephesians, but guarantor. Wow, very impressive, Josh. I know. I was gonna say guarantee, but that would be too cooler. It'd be too southern. Yeah. 
Garen you know, so we had a lot of class about the work of the Holy Spirit and his role within not only the Trinity, but in justification and sanctification um, and the role of Christian discipleship. And it just made me continue to think, like, what is the role of the Holy Spirit when it comes to the the work of the evangelist, so to speak? And more importantly, like, how do we, just as normal everyday Christians, forget clergy, like, how do we as disciples of Christ share that faith? Like, we all have really said multiple times this entire conversation is actually a necessary and important facet of our faith. So, so I'm going to take this one. Um, cause I think Tom's going to get the next one if we can do it that way. So I think there's, there's two poles you can fall off of here, two ways you can mess this up. Uh, one way works like this. I remember my brother was working at a, uh, large university and attended the university uh, campus chapel there. And he talked, he was an elder at this campus chapel at this university. And he talked to the pastor there at the time. And he said, hey man, like what, what's your plan for evangelism on the campus? And true story, the pastor said to him, oh, I don't do that. Uh, the students know where the chapel is. I preach the gospel from the pulpit. They can come here and hear me. Dude, not to interrupt, but that happened when I was field working at the seminary. Right. So Which I was field working at, same thing. I asked him the exact same question. Yep. What's what's the evangelism you know plan? And he goes, oh, there is not one. Yeah, yeah. We just we preach from the pulpit. That's it. And they and they see the sign. They can come in if they want. And that's this idea, and that's rooted in this idea of like, listen, you, spare me your tracks, spare me your bullhorns, spare me your gimmicks, spare me any, spare me your relationships with unbelievers, spare me any of that stuff. It's all just the Holy Spirit, and it's just magically he's going to bring who he's going to bring, or he's not who he's going to not. And I'm just going to do what I want to do. That to me seems biblically unfaithful and frankly, lazy. The other side of the coin though, is to say, oh man, like I've been reaching out to this person. I'm like sharing the gospel. I'm going to do it the most winsome way possible. And I'm like really thoughtful and, and really like just crafting this in a way that I think is really going to ring true for this person. I'm going to do everything I can. Uh, and, and, and I'm totally going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to walk them across the line. I'm going to get them to believe. It's just totally going to happen. My argument is just so captivating. It's going to do it. I'm going to pull it off. And that's falling on the other side here that like puts it all in the human being producing it and, and that you can do that. And to me, I think the fact of the matter is this, like ultimately it is the Holy Spirit that works faith. There's no two ways about that. Like that's scripturally clear. That's just a fact. Like I've heard the best speakers in the world and they're still not going to convert some people. Like it's just not going to happen. And, and so Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that works it. It's an absolute miracle that any of us come to faith. There's just no doubt about that in Scripture. And there's no doubt about the fact that we're called to be winsome and intelligent in how we engage the culture and how we invite people to come to know the Lord and how we remove barriers so that they might encounter the message of the gospel without letting anything get in the way. And so to me, it's just sitting in that tension and saying like, yeah, ultimately, it's not on me. And at the same time, I'm going to do everything I can to... Um, to, to reach people with the gospel. There, there's kind of this old saying in a tradition that isn't ours, but I think it's probably pertinent to those of us that are Lutherans where it says like work. Um, oh, I got to get this right. Shoot, shoot. Hey, what's the, the theological tradition that believes like uh, people choose faith, like that it isn't the Holy Spirit, but they choose faith. Uh, Arminian. So it's, oh, yeah. it's uh, let's say semi-Pelagianists. Right. Pelagian. I mean, that's, it is semi-Pelagianism, no doubt, but at any rate, uh, but, but you know, it's, it's uh it's, it's work like an Arminian and sleep like a Calvinist. And and so the idea there for those of you that um, don't know. I was going to say, you are soaring so far above my head, Gabe. Sorry. But our, so Arminians believe that it's pretty much just a work of a human being to come to faith and to choose to believe in God. Arminians, not Armenian like the country. Right. We're fine with those folks. Arminians, Armenians, excuse me, Armenians were like, yo, you should probably get your theology fixed. At any rate, um, Calvinists are like, yo, it's just totally God, like just doesn't even matter. Like that, like your hardcore Calvinist can be that way. Right. So the point is to say, like, trust God enough to do his thing that you sleep like a Calvinist and work so hard to reach people like you're an Armenian, like it depends on you. And that to me, I think, is the tension I sit like that. I think we're called to sit in is to say, like, do, do everything you can in your power to be fruitful. You know, if you're a Christian and if you're not, you should become one. We'd love it if you did. Um, but but uh you know, but if you are to to invite people to know Jesus, do everything you can to do that. 
And then whether or not it happens really isn't on you anyways, but do everything you can, but it's not really on you. So sleep well. That's my answer, Josh. I mean, I'm okay with that. Tom seems less convinced. No, I'm, that's fine. It's your second question that, that I want to respond to that has to do with what Gabe just said. So Josh, what's your second question? I'll remind you, your second question was... What well, can... I know what my second question was. Gabe was the one who forgot. He was trying to get me to say it, but you were the one answering it. I was trying to do it for the good listener. Oh, oh my God. No, no, you were throwing me under the evangelism no, bus. Out for you, the good listener. you know what? You were trying to get the Holy Spirit to drive over me with a semi-truck. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The yeah, second question, Josh, was you wanted to know... Great, what... now I'm fat and I don't have a good memory. This is just spiraling <laughs> out of control. <laughs> You, you as pastors, what can you be doing to help? Can I use the word equip? It's, it's a good word. It's a yeah. Word. What can you do to be equipping those in your, in your congregation? Those, those of us who are not pastors. And it even goes to your point of like, did you even have an evangelism course in, in seminary? And that's the thing that I kind of think of here. Day in and day out, we go to church. We, uh, if we go to Bible study, we're just learning more about God, and that's great, but it doesn't help us articulate that. And I think that's where some of my frustration comes in is uh, what if instead of having a Bible study, we spent six weeks in a row teaching us how to be evangelists? Give us the tools. Give us – let's role play some of this. Let's, you know, let's see, read I think some that's books. Tracks, that, that was the attempt of the gospel tract was to, to give someone a, a – tangible tool for evangelism when like when you look at scripture though it is completely contextual based on the individual and ultimately it is rooted in one very simple thing there was this guy jesus who was god who was crucified oh and he rose from the dead and he's coming back yeah but that's not good enough <laughs> but see well so but is it saint paul time I know. You know what I mean? Like, well, is what, it? What you just said is as long as you just say that, they'll become Christians. Like, no, no but see, that's the thing. Don't. Like, I, so, so, okay, let's, let's, let's role play this, right? Uh, I take a call to a church in the Twin Cities where the land of hot dish reigns supreme. Mm. Yep. Disgusting. Worse than a crock so pot. And here I am, Pastor Josh, standing up in front of Thomas O'Neill's congregation. And I'm telling you, Hey, the best way to evangelize is to walk around downtown in your rainbow sandals and board shorts and tell people that the greatest wave of your life is God. And if you surf it and just keep standing up, then you'll make it out of the barrel and be saved. Like no one's going to understand what I'm talking about. No, no, no. I'm talking about and so, like if I come through and say, hey, here's here's the necessary tools to equip you. It is Jesus died, he rose again, and he's coming back. No, no, yeah, I'm I'm talking about I'm talking about how um those who go to school to become teachers, they go through all sorts of different theory on how to uh and best practices and all this on how to work with this type of student. If you have a student with a learning disability, these are some best practices and best teaching models and things to teach this person. And so when a teacher comes out, they have a set of tools on how to approach different types of people, uh, you know, and so we don't have that in the church. Yes, we, we simply do. Have... It's called the Bible. Gabe just pre. As a matter of fact, when we were when we were in Michigan speaking last week, he brought a very good example. All right, Paul preaches to a bunch of Jews. He contextualizes the gospel and ends up converting three thousand, as it's recorded in Scripture. Then he's in that. the area, or Peter does that. Then Paul is in the Areopagus in Greece. And he contextualizes the gospel, a.k.a. Jesus died, rose, coming back, um, within their cultural milieu and, and, and their paradigm and converts three. So in both situations, the essential tool was simply the message of the gospel as delivered by Jesus Christ to his disciples. Paul, did, You don't see Paul. You don't see Peter. You don't see John. You don't see Matthew. You don't see Luke. You don't see James. You don't see you know Barnabas, Titus. Timothy, yeah, we, you don't we understand see... their names, Josh. Okay. No, I'm just trying to substantiate my knowledge here, guys, by impressed. listing off every biblical figure I can recall in the New Testament. Um, but you don't ever see them at any point in the letter, like having that same kind of curricula or strategic 
formula as a teacher does. So, but, but you're so talking you're talking about theological all stars here. You're talking about Paul who got hit with a beam of light from Jesus. You're talking about Peter who, on this rock, I'll build my church. We're not talking about Joe Schmo who goes to St. John's Lutheran Church down the street. So I think, Tom, I think you're right, Tom. And and Josh, yeah, I mean, ultimately it's like, yeah, the message is the message and it's equipping people with the message. And, but I want to point out what you maybe skipped over there, uh, Josh, is Paul contextualizes his message. And yeah, I'm pretty the, sure the, I used the word contextualized. You did, but you skipped over it being actually an important thing that needs to be taught. That to me is what needs to be taught is the contextualization of the message. And so to say like, yeah, you walk in downtown Minneapolis in board shorts and whatever you hippies wear, like it's just not going to work. But you do that in San Diego, it might probably not cuz that's just weird. But nonetheless, um like it's helping people understand how they contextualize it in their given situations. And, and so that to me is, I think a place where leaders in the church have an opportunity to help their people see like, you know, the message is always the message, but like, like, I I mean, I think about it this way. I had this conversation yesterday, Josh, I sat down with my, with my team. Every, our message is, we're trying to feed hungry people. Would you give us money? Okay. That's the message. There's that's always that's, your message, right? That's always the message, right? We spent two hours talking about three different donors and how to go. Th- Here's the conversation that I had with the donor. This is why it's not working. What would you do? And we kind of went back and forth and we, and you know, and I pulled a, a piece from this, uh, this consultant. And I was like, you know what? You might want to try this, this type of yeah. tactic kind of thing. Like we should be having those kind of conversations yeah. in the church. I should come to Bible study and say, Hey, I had this conversation with someone about Jesus. I'm frustrated. It's not working. What should you yeah. do? Okay. Let's workshop this, you know? Yep. And, and I agree with Tom. I, I agree too. John, thanks but for I, joining us on Pine Class Preachers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree too. Um, so I, I guess I, I genuinely I, I genuinely ask this question. If we so if I were to say I'm going to have a Bible, I'm going to take over Bible study hour and do an evangelism workshop. Does Tom O'Neill or any other lay person then use that and actually implement it in terms of personal evangelism? Because yeah, I think part of I've been part of those evangelism workshops, and I think then people don't do it. So I I, I think they do in the long term because Josh, your I, employees are getting paid. The people who come to Bible study zone out half the time. So here's well, the deal, bro, regardless Josh, of the topic. What what you're conflating here, though, bro, is you're conflating your own pedagogy with the fact that the teaching needs to happen. So you're right. Is is a Bible study class talking about stuff with people who don't really care and not going to do anything about it worth anyone's time? No. Is a better pedagogy around evangelism worth doing? Yes. And, and it can happen. And 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 so I think that's the thing is like we and we don't have time to get into this. I have this really great article up, but but part of it is our tradition is historically bad at it. And and so it, it's because we were birthed out of Christendom, and so we just like it just wasn't really a thing. Um, and, and so, but you look at other traditions that are built on evangelism. And and I think of even myself, like at at the university of Michigan, like, uh, we certainly try to reach out to students, but guess what I'm trying to learn evangelism from crew formerly known as campus crusade for Christ. Why? Because that's all they do. And they're really good at it and they train people on how to do it. And so, so to me, it's like, yeah, we can have a bad pedagogy within the church. That doesn't mean it isn't something that needs to be taught. Gabe done. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, no, I agree. And I wish we had time to bring up that article because we are, in a sense, victims of our... Oh, everyone's a victim in Josh's world. Always a victim of... Welcome to Obama's America. (laughs) You're a victim. Oh, my gosh. All right, we better wrap this up before Gabe starts trying to evangelize everyone with the gospel of Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, it has been a great discussion on why Josh is a terrible evangelist. And thank you for tuning in. Reminder, leave us not only five stars on iTunes, but a wonderful review. Who am I kidding? You haven't. You've stopped listening. So we'll see you next time on Pint Glass Preachers.
Buenas tías.